Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast, the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. We are brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joe PR, and I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, joined by co-host Carla Jo Helms. Hi, guys. Today, we'll be talking with Kenneth the Shark Kinney of AI Media Group about the convergence of TV and digital. Kenneth is a creative marketer, growth executive, consultant, and speaker. He's passionate about lead generation, leveraging data and omni-channel strategies, driving growth, digital marketing, and advanced TV. He's uh, led national campaigns working with brands including Axiom, AT&T, City, Chase, Target, GM, American Express, a whole bunch, too many for me to even put into here. And uh, A litany 50, of them. A litany of them. What do you call uh, a group of sharks? Plus. Ooh. <laughs> School of Sharks. School of Sharks. And he's also worked with over 50 colleges and universities. He's the host of the Sharks Perspective podcast on marketing and has experience hosting and producing TV and live radio programs. His personal passions include swimming and diving with sharks, martial arts, superheroes, and all things marketing. So probably the biggest passion there, I would say, uh, Kenneth, is the uh, swimming and diving with sharks. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Does outside that have of family. anything to do with your growth strategies? Sharks, growth, sharks, marketing, sharks. Yeah. Yes, sharks. Well, I think the closest to that, that you can equate to that is that sharks uh, eventually die when they get too big, which is the pace <laughs> I feel like my own diet's on eventually when they just stop swimming. So why do you like sharks so much? I have been swimming with sharks since I was a little kid. I saw a great white in the water when I was way too young and way too far out to be on my own. And then I just, I got enamored with it and just really have, have fallen in love with them and, you know, understand that they are not the, uh, once you swim with them, it's, it's not what you see on TV and movies. It's, it's uh, completely different with one exception. There is one, one shark that I, I'm not a big fan of, um, at least big fan of in the sense that you need to watch out for the bull sharks. Mm-hmm. which have the most testosterone of any animal in the ocean. They're the most aggressive fish I've ever seen. They've been and juicing, right? They've been juicing. That's yeah. exactly the, the right A lot of road rage. <laughs> yeah, but it's, I mean, it's 600 pounds of muscle. And if you see most of the time, it's, it's generally going to be a bull shark that's bitten somebody. And a lot of that, you know, for a lot of reasons, they are not attack dogs. They are, um, you know, fish that are coming into contact with humans. They're curious. They're driven in just looking for food. People are in the wrong places, but you got to always respect you're in their tor- territory. I don't care what kind of fish or, or whatever animal it is. What, you you are just always got to respect it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the, other than the bull shark, which is an attack dog, maybe. So maybe a shark you'd say is your spirit animal. That's like, why do you love sharks? Because they're your spirit animal. You can't yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've been lucky to, to dive with them with great whites. I've done that a few times. Uh, Hammerheads are one of my favorite. Um, I've done dive with uh, tiger sharks before, bull sharks. They're just they're fascinating creatures. So when you dive, and this eventually we'll get to B two B marketing stuff and the the uh, yeah <laughs> TV um, and and the integration of uh, what is it the convergence of TV and digital. But this I is just the, the shark thing. Yeah, this yeah, is. This... Well, it is Shark Week, so we're recording this during Shark Week. So it does it oh. is apropos. Awesome. Oh, okay, perfect. Do you dive with you just in your wetsuit, or are you inside a cage when you're diving with sharks? Does it mix? So depends depends on the kind of shark above. and where it is. Most of the time, uh, and I snorkel a lot. But if you're going to dive with sharks, 
for the most part, you're going to have to stay underwater a little bit longer, maybe go to the floor where you'll see a lot of them. With great whites, or really, I'm trying to think, I, I can't think of another occasion where I've ever needed to be in a cage for an animal, but um, great whites, you can freeform dive with them. You can freeform snorkel with them. If you can hold your breath that long, I cannot. But I can't think of another animal where you, where you, you know, really need to be in a cage. Part of the problem with, with cage diving is that so many people, and depending on the waters, it's, it's illegal in, in most regulated areas, uh, people chum the waters, which is not a healthy thing to do. It obviously draws in sharks and, and other fish to eat, but that also puts you in too close of a contact. And that's the first time I ever did uh, cage diving. It, it was as invigorating as it was, it was also a little bit appalling to, uh, to see because they're just, they're, they're pulled in, you know, that way, but they're, I mean, they're, they're beautiful creatures. They are uh, great whites, especially are, are, I mean, you're looking at a school bus with teeth, which is <laughs> awesome power, but they're also very gentle creatures. I've seen them sw swimming with dolphins before, which is just weird. There's this whole ecosystem that we don't know that's out there that just fascinates yeah, and me. Yeah, we don't time fully understand it. No, and, and, and for me, everything is always trying to kill everything else. Exactly. For me, quite honestly, though, it is a happy place for me because with all the stuff we worry about in marketing and, and having to check emails and texts. Under the water is my happy place. I will not, I will not under any circumstances ever want to go pull in a waterproof iPhone and be okay, able you to don't check, check emails. You no, know. no. And, and well, so yeah. you get away completely. I want to That's see you cool. do it on a video just to get attention. You can post that. Like, here I am. <laughs> well, speaking of all the things we have to keep track of with marketing, we have this whole convergence, right? That we're talking about today. And this is, I don't think this is on uh, a lot of marketers radar, right? No. It's oh, not the TV and and maybe digital it thing. Yeah. Be. Yeah. Before we get to that one last, sorry, Carla Joe, I know you're trying to keep us on topic. I am. I'm doing my, <laughs> I'm doing my damnedest. <laughs> you started out fascinated with sharks, but you got into marketing at some point. Can you tell us Yeah, yeah. how you I got into off. the marketing, uh, <laughs> the marketing area? Yeah. So thank you for a hundred, like a hundred years ago, I was a millennial. And I originally started out in tech and then evolved into MarTech. And I really got fascinated with websites and everything that was driving people to buy. Just, you know, the, a lot of the behavioral science that went into marketing, the psychology of it, you could sort of see, see that as, as e-commerce was emerging as well. And so self-taught myself a lot of things like graphic design. And I've been doing that for 20 years, editing video, things like that all the pieces that fit together and how that got started. And then after hosting some radio programs over the years, I moved into uh, working for a brand and then also working for a publisher and had a TV show um, that I hosted live on, on camera. And then I also edited and produced another executive produced another show that was, was more of an infomercial and really got into direct response TV as well. And, and really got an appreciation for how all the pieces of TV and being a digital marketing person, how they all started to work together. And so did a lot of that and then got behind the scenes working for one of the big data providers, which was, which 
was primarily responsible for a big chunk of the addressable TV market as people were looking at more targeted type television. And having run a ton of campaigns, I've made a, a, a major shift from there to work for a local brand where I was that was growing and helped lead them to some record growth in, in digital campaigns, especially with uh, video as well. But really, I've, I've just gone, grown to appreciate how much of, of that works together. And now I work for a performance marketing agency group, uh, AI Media Group out of New York. And we, we really focus on optimization through attribution. Attribution is the key story for us. And we have our own proprietary patented technology that helps us optimize advertising campaigns. Now, addressable TV and what you see through, you know, OTT type set-top boxes, those, those are, that attribution's done a different way. I've delivered 300 plus uh, attribution reports on those kind of campaigns. But really, as you start seeing digital merge with connected TV, which is, you know, part of what we're going to talk about today, that was really the, the fascination of being able to tell the whole story on the customer journey as well. I keep just wanting to let you talk because you're covering every question that I'm thinking of. You're just hitting next. So, um, so you're, I mean, your progression really was you started out in TV and radio, which gives you this unique insight yeah. into, you know, how that, I, I'm sure when you started out, there was no, like I said, no such thing as the type of attribution we have nowadays. No, no. Most TV going over the internet, it's so much. Well, it's all black and technology. white. Technology. Oh, wow. <laughs> Turn the knobs and yeah. The attribution of Lone Ranger was there was two channels. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, <laughs> all you nice. needed to know was how many TVs were sold, and you knew how many yeah. people were watching. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, really, that's kind right. of how it goes, right? You back in the day, they need to know how many TVs, and now who's watching what show, and eventually technology's caught up, and we can say exactly who's watching when and for how long, and if they fast forward and everything. We can, but the problem is, and having worked for a brand that was still doing this today. I can tell you from, from talking to brands all the time, it is still a major problem that exists today. You still have agencies that are pushing people to look at reach alone. And maybe not reach alone, a more targeted t you know, TV than it used to be, but it's still primarily focused on reach and not on addressability and targeting and really reaching the right types of audience. So the technology is not quite all, I mean, you still have some Nielsen type stuff and it's not all, yeah. you know, everything all the time, like internet, purely internet based. It's technology and it's also politics. So you got to think of it this way too. You've got, um, you've got Google who's dominant in the ad space. We know that they're a part of the journey. You've got direct TV sharing ads and they are dominated in the satellite TV space. You've got Facebook, who's dominated in the social space. All three of those are serving ads. Now it's not even counting email newsletters, you know, direct mail and all those things. But if you just think of, of the TV, video, TV and video, social and internet search providers, they're all competing for dollars. That doesn't even right. mention Amazon that wants to play in that space. So the, the yeah, technology, got all exactly. These, yeah. So the technology exists today. I mean, it, we delivered a lot of those exact campaigns, but where you're always running into a problem other than privacy, which is another, a whole other issue you can cover uh, with addressability. But when you talk about this, when you're competing against a campaigns, a lot of times 
you can't run a, a campaign on dish, take an audience that, that you've run a campaign on dish or Comcast or whoever, take that same audience and bump it up against, uh, you know, some other Facebook, for example, you can't always, they will not always agree. Uh, if they even agree once, they will not always agree to let you know what those audiences are and then deliver messages that are going to basically show which one performed better. And it's not a knock against TV or social or digital. It, it honestly, it creates a bad, sometimes linear path too that a lot of people fall down, down because it's not that one delivers better than the other. It may be, be that one with another when paired together kills mm -hmm. it, but you're still competing where they aren't necessarily aligned and should be. They are all, you know, different publishing networks. So Doesn't it's going to be kind of a problem. The, the, uh, I read a market research study that just came out not too long ago. Um, it, it, for B2B, global consumerism, right? I can't remember the company. I can pull it out. But it was talking about the omni-channel experience and yeah. how B2B was woefully behind in this. And B2B, you know, consumers, were, this was their biggest bitch that they have. You know, it, it seems to me like some of this pairs with that, right? We're talking it about- when you say if two of them together could kill it, I mean, think about an omni-channel, right? I mean, eventually that's where things should be going, right? Even in 100%. consumers, it seems like they don't have, like everything doesn't mesh yet. They haven't decided. It's like we're in the 70s and we don't know if we're going to go with Betamax or LaserDisc or VHS or there's just all these different channels for video and they don't, they're not standardized to one format of tracking exactly. and accountability and uh, attribution and whatnot. Yeah. And, and we're getting slightly there with some of those metrics and standards, but from a, you know, if you if think B2B and B2C together, well, let me split B2B. So one thing B2B has as a fault is B2B is generally slower to adopt something new than B2C is. Totally. And totally. Until it's been done 50 times by B2C. And then there's a white paper on, you know, Acme boot brand who tried it once and saw success, then it doesn't, they don't adopt it. But right. pairing those campaigns, creating an omni-channel experience, and I've spoken at many conferences with a lot of slides that show this, with other publisher friends who say the same thing, that you're generally going to see a 30% lift when you show that, that it's not, you know, just an independent channel. And, and I know Mary Meeker's report that comes out every year, uh, she published this as well just recently, and it, it showed something like 88% of the people that are watching TV always have another device in their hands, whether it's an iPad, a laptop, or a phone most of the time. I joke about I mean, I that. Other devices, always. Exactly. Seriously. I like to say they say it's bad for your eyes to be looking at a screen because it's flat. So I say I look at two screens. That way I'm looking for TV, <laughs> phone up close, and TV. And that way my eyes don't get damaged. Yeah. Exactly. But when you focus on attribution, and this is the thing you've got to always remember, we, we tag a lot of our stuff and, and our technology allows us to be able to, when you're doing a campaign, you know, for the most part, they may go search for something on Google. They may see, uh, you know, an ad campaign on TV. If it's on a connected TV device where it's clickable, then we can track it. Then they may go see something on the trade desk, they may see a Facebook ad, you know, there's several different pieces that come up with the journey. At the very end, they may go back to Google and then decide to buy and that's where they convert. 
Well, the yeah. problem is I where you get that later the same. Sometimes, yeah, exactly. So, so if you if you look at is... just last click, which is what unfortunately most people do, it always rewards that last click, which totally. most of the time is Google. And so most no of the time you've got to pair them together. Like that anymore? Yeah. No, exactly. So one of the one of the slides that I've shown at a lot of conferences I've spoken about at always has the TV. You're really oh, looking for that report. We don't need to know it. She's she got so bored she started cleaning the room. No, I'm sorry. I'm so, sorry. So, um, so you you know one of the one of the things that that you really should be able to show is did a TV ad when accompanied with a digital ad. I very rarely have a problem when I show, if I can show the whole story, if I can show the TV ad on top and the digital ad two seconds underneath. That means I know that they were searching on their phone, especially if it was a mobile ad. Right. They were searching on their phone while they were watching the device and I can know when an ad was run. So I may not get exposure data back because all the you know publishers aren't working as best friends with competing in those dollars. But when I compare these together, I can generally tell a better story of of how that ad how that group of ads performed. How often are you able to pair those together? Well, on a connected device, we can always. On an, if it's an addressable target, you always can. But what the MVPDs uh, and the social networks won't allow you to do is be able to always just take your campaign and show how it performed against the other. Right. So it um, depends on where the, again, back to who's putting the video out there, where is it being watched and what do they allow you to do and not do on there? Exactly. And, and the MVPD for, because I'll call it TVs multiple times is I'm, multiple times is an MVPD is a multi-channel video programming distributor. So mm -hmm. uh, we call it MVPDs in, in the business, if you will, in, in air quotes, but I generally refer to it as the TVs. Um, so I want to go back to the core of what we're talking about here, convergence of TV and digital. We kind of just steamrolled right into it. Yeah. Can you give an, an overview of what that means for people who maybe are listening and still are saying, but what the hell are you guys talking about? Um, <laughs> sure. So, you know, I think for most people, when they start to think of, of the full omni-channel experience, you know, they're typically thinking of how email works together with direct mail and things like that, where digital and TV are coming together is you're starting to see a big shift away from traditional linear TV, except in politics. Politics is still seeing a, a solid growth, and we'll see that again a lot in 2020. But you're starting to see a lot of shift away from traditional linear TV and big shifts up in advanced TV primarily and with those connected TV devices. You're also seeing a shift towards addressable TV, which is, is steadily growing. Now, What's addressable TV? Yeah, yeah. So addressable TV is basically taking a targeted list, a first party data list. And let's say that, uh, you know, Agni brand or, or Ford, 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 your know, auto companies generally are going to have the best targeted data just about of anybody. They're some of the smartest, most sophisticated advertisers. Um, you know, even though we're shifting to electric cars, they still know 
uh, you know, what help, what people's buying habits are in a lot of ways. They do a lot of uh, just outstanding data that I've worked on with GM and uh, Honda and all of them. They, they generally are a smarter brand of marketer from a data standpoint. They, you'll take a list of say 10 million people, you know, that are in the market who bought a, a car 10 years ago, probably about time they're buying a new car five years ago, whatever it is you pick. You get that list of 10 million people, then you're going to bump it up in an environment. You're going to take that list that's going to have name, address, whatever data you have on it. You're going to have a company like an Axiom, Experian, or Epsilon, or LiveRamp now, um, taking that data and bumping it up against DirecTV, Dish, Comcast, Subscriber. They all house those subscriber bases inside. They can tell you what the match rate is, and then you can decide whether or not you're going to serve an ad on those networks and then addressable TV. So in TV, they, I mean, in, in uh, social media, you can do that also. You can take a list of contacts, put it Correct. in Facebook exactly. and they'll say, here's your match rate and push ads to those. You're saying you can do that same thing in television networks now. Well, you, we yeah, it. sorry. Yeah, <laughs> my bad. So shark attack. The, the, no, the phone shark fell because Carla Joe was attack. making noise pushing papers around so so addressable tv yeah we've been we've been doing that for several years though it's 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 not a market that everybody's jumped into because it's also really expensive and that ad inventory is generally about two minutes of the hour for uh, you know it it basically it knows if it's going to reach you for carla joe and you've got your your set top box on at home you're watching your direct tv satellite for whatever program, whatever channel you're going to be on, there's basically about two minutes of airtime where a 30 second spot can be shown to you or Carla Joe, whatever channel you turn to, to for the most part. And those targeted, targeted matches that come back are pushed from the ad networks, from the publishers rather, to uh, just like to Facebook, they are pushed to the actual set-top box, and then they know when you saw the ad and, and when you did not. So, so question for you. Now, I want to go on break, and I want to pick this up right after the break. And a question, think, of, think about this while we're on break. Um, you can match, take a list and match it in Facebook, and they're going to push ads to those specific mm -hmm. people. Uh, I'd like you to, to answer for us when we come back from break. Um, when you push a list to a... Uh, a TV, a connected device company for the addressable market TV. Are you finding out here's what percentage of your people are watching this particular show? So, so you know, or are they pushing your ads only to the people in your addressable market and people are seeing different ads? So don't answer now. Um, but uh, <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. Um, you're listening to the If You Market podcast. We have uh, Kenneth the shark Kinney on talking about the convergence of TV and digital. We'll be right back. The If You Market podcast is brought to you by Mountaintop Data. And at Mountaintop Data, we're all about data for B2B marketing. Our goal is to improve the quality, depth, and coverage of our clients' targeted marketing data while removing the technical pain of accessing and implementing data. We help with everything from new target contacts to appending and cleaning existing data, all with the goal to free you and your team up to focus on creating great marketing experiences. Check us out online at mountaintopdata.com and sign up for our new top data search tool and get free access to search our database of over 30 million business contacts. Use the code hashtag IYM when signing up and get 200 free credits. 
Welcome back to the Ify Market Podcast. We are here with uh, Kenneth, the Shark Kenny, talking about the convergence of TV and digital. Kenneth, right before the break, you were getting into kind of how these audiences are, are targeted. And I was asking about whether it's a general target saying, here's the demographic that's watching this particular program that your ad would be in front of, or whether it's specifically placed in front of different contacts, get different commercials based on who's paying to reach them. Yeah, so you, you've got a lot of different ways of targeting, just like you do for any sort of you know, B2C or to B2B uh, type effort when you're doing targeting. And a lot of the different lists, it really matters what type of list you get, who you're trying to target. But when you think of how you're showing these ads, whether it's through you know, a programmatic ad network, if you're showing it on advanced TV, you know, connected device, or you're showing it you know, on a set top box, all of these different ways that we can target, you have some limit on addressable TV shown through a set top box, mainly because it's a more competitive space. It's more expensive for the ads. There are more people watching. You can reach a bigger audience. Connected TV, while fantastic for the future, which is a lot of your over the top type streaming devices where somebody is connected through some sort of, you know, fire stick, Apple TV, any of those types of devices still growing. That's where a lot of our shift and spend is happening, but you can, you can, wherever you can get to targeting, you can now deliver those types of ads. Addressable is a more, a larger, I would say a more competitive space just because it, that way you're going to be on, you know, uh, traditional direct TVs, large subscriber base or Comcast, large subscriber base. They're watching, you know, any one of the American Idol or one of these big shows that, that has a huge The Bachelor finale or Bachelorette finale that's going to have a large audience, you're going to typically do that through that traditional addressable right. show. But Unless if you're wanting to reach... Thrones or something like that, uh, you're not going to have as large a market. No, st the the Starbucks didn't pay as much for it. I think that was <laughs> free advertising for them. But the convergence that I talk about that you asked about earlier was really the fact that we're shifting so quickly in our targeting. And what's really, I think, going to drive a lot of this go forward is 5G. 5G in particular is where you're going to start seeing a lot of this space converge yeah. together. Yeah. And, and, and what's happening right now is you've got uh, just a very small few of really smart agencies who are driving the business in TV. They know how to do the targeting. They talk to the publishers frequently. I used to work with all of them. There was a very small group of these and they weren't all in New York, you know, on, on Madison Avenue. There were some in a few different areas where the, the bigger problem you see though, is the majority of spin is being driven by a lot of digital agencies. And while they are doing a much better job in digital, they don't know the TV market. So it's not one necessarily versus the other that I'm, you know, talking about what I'm also talking about is like you guys talked about earlier was the fact that your customer, they don't care about the sausage making process. They are seeing one message come from your brand and it really one doesn't sausage. That's it. Exactly. They don't, you know, and so where you get better efficiencies though, for the most part is really marrying these two together in a more consistent campaign. But I can tell you that I know of, let me think back, probably zero times in my entire history of working with agencies or working for an agency where 
one agency went to another agency because they thought if we give them the money to go run the campaign, they'll do a better job. That never has happened in the history of time. So you get a lot of agencies who are smart in one area, but not necessarily in another. And so right. that part of advertising versus what a lot of people are doing in marketing as well, it just becomes a big soup and mess. But you're seeing so many people get away from that are the cord cutters that are moving towards, you know, app based TV or connected TV devices where you're just, you know, using an app that you load on your PlayStation or your Xbox or your, your uh, Roku stick or whatever. And you're seeing people do a lot less appointment television. And that's driving a lot of the spin changes, not only on the different social networks and how we use video there, but 5G is going to accelerate this, I think, a pretty significant amount because you're talking anywhere from 10 to 100 times faster. And it gives you a lot of different um, advertising capabilities where the data will pull, it, pull in or the rich media that will push out. But it also means to me, and I think that's why you're seeing a lot of the shift currently in the, the, the TV networks and where Dish just made an acquisition that was interesting with with telecom is you'll see a lot more of that convergence of TV and telecom together uh, as in they want those capabilities because why would you put a satellite on top of your house? If you lived in a rural network, if you're in a rural, sorry, rural community, why would you put your TV against only one wall in a room because you could not move it because of some silly coax cable. And that's still a majority of the people in the country. It's not just the, the few folks, that live in New York that go up vertically that can only go through a connected device or, or coax, but it, it's going to change a lot. It's going to change a lot of our ad delivery. It's going to change a lot of the data that we're able to pull in. And I think it will accelerate dramatically uh, this shift in spin. And you'll obviously see a lot more things in, in video shown that we've never seen before. How long do you think it'll be before Just when I'm watching a show, and uh, I see a commercial for Ford and Carla Joe's watching the same show on the other side of the country. And she also sees a commercial for Ford. We're getting delivered different commercials based on their profile of us. Or you can get that now. That, that yeah. happens now even. Like yeah, it sense. happens now. But one of the, one of the bigger issues, it's very rare that maybe not, and it would probably have to be an automaker, somebody with the money to be able to test that level of spend. Yeah. There are not a lot of people who can afford, you're buying basically an audience, right? So your audience, if you're buying a hundred thousand people to watch an ad, you split that in two. It's not half price. You're so paying the largest players are really segmenting, targeting their audience with different commercials based on the persona. But now we might see even smaller players where Carla Joe will see an ad for one thing and I'll see an ad. Let's say we're both watching Hulu because I'm sure the cable network's probably not yeah. delivering targeted except for maybe the local ad spots, but no we'll see so, so, one product. I'll see a different product because I'm a different person. So right now you're seeing more, more personalized ads right now on connected devices. And that's, that's not necessarily uh, as, as cost restrictive. It's not as expensive right. to buy those ads as a, as a set-top box ad. So an addressable ad you can do right now and split that out, but it's a much more expensive group that you're buying from. 
a connected device, something shown on a programmatic network, uh, you know, something like Hulu, think, uh, you know, Netflix with ads, that you could be seeing a different ad now. And it's not, um, it's not cheap. I mean, it's, it's uh, cheaper than running it on, you know, uh, a much larger audience on, say, direct TV. Is there one of these mediums that's kind of under undercharged at the moment, maybe because it's new and people don't understand? I know a couple of years ago, Facebook ads, people were like, wow, if you're buying Facebook ads right now, you're getting a great deal because people don't understand the impact it has. So they're having to sell them much less than, they sh- than the actual market value. Is, is there an ad type that's undervalued at the moment? Well, it may surprise you to hear, but I still think addressable is probably the biggest value. The problem is that most people are so married to the idea that reach is the only thing they can drive their campaigns by. If you look at reach only, there are a lot of better, cheaper, you know, propositions out there. If you look at addressable, though, if you can micro target or you know target really finally your audience i mean that's the stuff we preach in digital marketing all day long it is all the time in the exactly of marketing 101 you yeah know, the more targeted the better right you're always talking to a target but you've got agencies who are arguing against each other for a brand's dollar because they have the their brand- own strength too right they're going to argue exactly whatever they have the strength in regardless yeah. of what's really the best yeah Forward. Exactly. What's best for the customer, which is rare for somebody yeah. to talk about. It's what what field of battle can we win on is where they're going to tell the customer they need to Absolutely. be versus, versus what but, the, where the customer really needs to be. But when you start seeing this convergence of TV and digital, especially as we shift more towards digital TV and less away from, and I don't even like to call it TV versus video, because if I'm watching Netflix, it's on a 65-inch laptop. Or if I'm watching Shark Week, it's on a 65 inch laptop which is a tv and i'm still watching it well exactly but (laughs) but you're but you're watching that and and as that shift happens agencies have to know have to learn more about tv and video because it's going to become less of just a terminology change and more of where we're all now watching we're all we've all called it the same thing now so we've got to look at buying this better we've got to be able to show more targeted ads. And that's really going to be a key thing for the future. Right. It's just all going to be different devices that can stream the same video content. It's all video content eventually. Yeah. Connecting the dots with the different devices though is really, you know, being able to tell that story is going to be the greatest ongoing challenge because we've got ad networks competing for each other's dollars. Yeah. You know, is and this going to be good or bad? When the marketers get the power to say, I'm going to deliver Carla Joe one version of my commercial and Sky another version of my commercial, basically, as marketers, do you think we're going to use this for good or evil? Oh, good. Absolutely. No, I mean, especially with TV dollars. It, it's, look, if I can deliver to a business buyer something he needs and he's trying to solve a problem, you know, and I've done it instead of just spammed him with stuff I've ignored traditionally then it's worth it to me okay so i'm going to quote you on that the shark says good wins good wins good right. always wins i agree <laughs> how is this going to affect the b2b world well a lot of different ways but not just in tv but especially in video And this is something i've been talking about a lot i think a lot of the things that 
B2B content will change, especially as we go forward with video. I think you'll start seeing a lot more. You know, I talk about this in a lot of conferences is the type of con usually I talk about how content, most of your content sucks. And that's true for most agencies and most brands that, that put most out shows that get on TV suck. So Ex exactly. You're not going to put out amazing content. Exactly. But you're actually, I think going to be able to see down the road and it's, it may be a ways down the road, but I I've been talking about this a lot lately is can you see yourself putting out more robust video? You know, why would I necessarily need to go to, to, Netflix, for example, to watch a show, you know, why couldn't office Depot have created the TV show, the office, or why do I need to go to, uh, if I want to watch fixer upper, why wouldn't I go to home Depot? Why can't home Depot, a large brand actually create the show, not just create the show. They are the creator kind didn't of Marriott do that a year or so ago. They started creating actual content like that to keep their, uh, you know, hoteliers or not the hoteliers, but the people that were staying in there, like more engaged in their brand. And well, I'm talking about actual professional shows. No, I, that's I'm, what I mean. No, they were. Uh, we'll see. I have then, to look that up. It was it like was rev it, revolutionary, and then you didn't hear about it anymore. Then it wasn't good enough to last, right? Be because really, I don't know if it was in stages of that. Because I agree with you, Home Depot should be doing you know, fixer upper or yeah. well, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing, it would be an amazing lead generation channel. Totally. If I am, I mean, why would I not go if I'm watching it through a connected, if I've cut the cord and I'm streaming all this and newspapers, I think should be thinking about this. I just published my own podcast on this. If the newspaper can go create the video, they've been building that brand reputation for 50 years. The same as a lot of these legacy brands. Why not come up with something creative that a third party hires Joanne and Chip Gaines in Waco, Texas. Why not create your stories around that? You're doing the same thing with influencer marketing. Now, if Marriott did it, and I don't doubt it at all, it may not have been good enough or it may have been a little short-sighted. And they, and well, yeah. it, I think it, people they, are dabbling with it, but you're right. Yeah. That's an awesome, if you're a large brand, so it'll be really large brands that can do full-on shows. Other people make little clips. We are doing it with influencer marketing with smaller brands. Yeah. Totally, right? So yeah. let them create the stories. Maybe it doesn't have to be, you know, a million dollar a week type budget or more, obviously, for, for some of the larger shows. But when you think of influencers themselves creating this, this is basically what we're trying to get them to do is to create content that's TV or video generally. If you generally it's video content that influencers do, and they're pushing it onto YouTube. Why would I necessarily want them to only go to YouTube or a social channel like Facebook or somewhere else? Why wouldn't I want to drive them back more and more? Right. I mean, when you hit on something like Home Depot, I mean, for some brands, it's tough. They're going to have to make the office. They're going to have to make a, a, a fiction show that's entertaining and whatnot. But a brand like Home Depot, it's just it's a home improvement show. You get somebody who's known in home improvement. You have exactly. to pay them. You have them do the show, different segments, rolls out regularly. Um, you know, it's probably something it could be live. I mean, it makes so much sense, doesn't it? Search on their site and find the show just on sheetrock and drywall and mudding and stuff. All kinds of shows. Yeah. And it could be for any like type of business. I mean, builders and if yeah. you had a if you had a small if you had a small business that was a uh, bakery, I mean, could you not yourself create your own little baking show? 
and and put it out there every week and do 10 episodes or you know binge load it and make it a binge worthy i'm just picturing wars for like plumbers where the guy just has the camera on his hat and it's just showing like here's what i'm dealing with it would be well we we've been doing this for so long with how to videos yeah but we've been doing this so long with how to videos that we push to youtube why not create that video content when 5G makes it so much faster? I mean, it's, it's, I think it's one fifth this, uh, how long it takes you to blink your eye. That's what a typical um, speed change it is. And the fact that you can create richer content, which is every progression we're doing with technology, is being able to produce richer media content right now in marketing and advertising. Like you said, we you started out with radio with much... video, then you have black and white uh, yeah. video, and then it's just getting better and better and better. Yeah. And uh, it, well, it's food. definitely food for thought. I mean, that is such an interesting Well, I made a joke with somebody. Thing. We were talking about it, and that's where I really kind of got into it. We were talking about the new movie, Top Gun Maverick, coming out. Can you imagine if the Navy had hired a third party? I mean, they don't even yeah. need to be involved with it. They said, here's... I don't know, $50 million, whatever they spend on their like advertising budget. Yeah. They spend, let's say it's their advertising budget, or maybe it's USAA, um, you know, the insurance provider, something that's red, white, and bluish, but let's say that their advertising that's the next, budget. That's the next level for insurance companies. They need to do something like this. Well, let's say their advertising budget was $50 million or $20 whatever, million, dollars, yeah. whatever it is. You say, go produce me just this amazing content. Now you can't be wrong. Let's say you put that on your website and stream it there. Yeah, exactly. And you stream it there. Uh, That's the kind of thing that would make you want to go there. And then you conveniently put a lead form or whatever next to it. Odds are you're going to have some pretty rich data. So that's really out of the box thinking. The Navy Uh, got great publicity from top. They probably got massive. The recruiters tried to really easy after top. Well, look at what Starbucks got. Your local Coke dealer could do Scarface 2 and produce it themselves, maybe. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I see you're going with this. That's interesting. <laughs> well, oh, so that's fascinating. Stuff. And right. actually, you know, you say, I know it's thinking outside the box, but isn't that how it's almost like your sci-fi book that creates the actual rocket that goes to the moon? I mean, we're talking about things that are going to happen. Yeah. Well, if you want to think about where we're going in, in marketing, it's not doing the same shit over and over and over again, which is what a lot of agencies tell brands to do and they look at, you know, some Google trend data and they think that's what we've got to do because everybody else is doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, why does, why can't your uh, Starbucks, it, most of the people that were on, yeah. most of the people were on friends had never been discovered before. Why not make a coffee shop? And they thing hung and out on in Starbucks? a shop. They can exactly Central Park, right? Central Park, exactly. But also, so many sitcoms take place in you know you have a Cheers that take place in a they have a location. Starbucks has a show that's in a location, and then when they have a PR problem, they have an, an episode that addresses it. Yeah, some well, of these uh, craft breweries could do it. Like Cheers, it is. That's and, it's not, and it's not necessarily that. I mean, look. This all started, we had the first ad, Bulova, put on an ad in 1941 that showed a map and a watch on the front. And it was July something in 1941. So it's, it's been that many years ago. Then as TV and started progressing, all the shows were brought to you by these major brands. That was the norm. So this, yeah. yeah, well, and this just, this just carries this a lot further to where they're looking at producing content. We know that it's important for 
a brand. It's the advice that makes sense for, for how do we help people solve complex problems that they're going to, whether it's for B2B or B2C. We know that we're just, we are, should be creating content that helps answer those questions, helps them solve problems. Good content's yeah. hard, though. We're gonna, are we going to see a lot of crappy content by brands? That 100%. Are could probably so for we sure. We see it now. We see it now. <laughs> yeah. Now, I thought with usually competition makes a better product, but then you look at somewhere like YouTube and everybody can make a show, have their own channel, and then you look at the content that's on there and it, there's not better products, although we do have better TV now through competition from probably things like Hulu and all the networks yeah. creating their own network, but individuals creating their stuff, there's just a ton of garbage on YouTube. Now, some well, of it gets 100 million views, but it's, you look, it's just weird garbage. So if you think of a, if you thought of an influencer, let's bring it down to not something that costs 50 million a year to produce like a movie or some massive TV show. You thought of just an influencer wanted to create, you know, 10 webisodes, if you will. And where do you host that? If you're helping push all that traffic to their channel, then a lot of times you're going to see a miss. We can track it somewhat. We can, with with them going to that that influencer's channel and then coming back to your brand and then converting that's typically what most agencies are doing with influencers that they're they're leveraging for brands i've been saying especially with all the videos that they produce bring them back to your place host them on your site um, don't you can put them on youtube or vimeo or wherever you want to put them social channels but you really want to store that content known it and if it's content that doesn't deliver and let's say just to use this as a metaphor let's say it's a tv show that sucked and you had to kill it off the same way goes if it doesn't deliver if it doesn't entertain your audience if it's junk content that you want to get rid of you take it off and get rid of it you don't have to right. it doesn't you get to own and control that content if you will they may be the creators of it this is not where your communications team needs to sit down with pen and paper and start writing you know, episodes of a Give show. A script. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that shouldn't even ever, brands should never get involved in that process because they'll put in brand babble that doesn't work. Mm. It's, it's the kind of right. things that the human side of it, whether it's fictional, you know, like some TV show friends or, or the office, it could be uh, yard crashers or anything else. I mean, most of the TV publishers, this is the way they've been doing this for years. But I think, where we'll start seeing some shift is a lot of brands will really start thinking of themselves as publishers. They won't just simply push out email newsletters. They won't simply just push out blogs that nobody reads. They won't just push out videos that are competing in yeah. a space where 400 hours of video get uploaded on YouTube an hour. Why would you want to compete in that space and drive them all towards YouTube? You want so to pull them back for a while because it was new, but it seems exactly. like you're kind of saying once, once the marketers we love to find something and say, oh, videos on YouTube are working, videos on LinkedIn are working, but eventually they stop working because we all bombard the space with those videos and yeah. they're of a, yeah. only of the quality they need to be. So it seems like maybe these brands making their own shows and stuff, that might start to happen once we crap out all the other channels. Once we make yeah. it so these, the video doesn't work, the low-hanging fruit's gone, then people are going to have to get better. And well, we know that- content. We know, we know that 5G is going to deliver a massive shift, just like the emergence of digital did. Just like when digital really started coming up, what, 20-ish years ago, 25 years ago, 
how much it's grown. I mean, we know that this shift with 5G, which will be an incredibly large speed change, 10 to 100 times faster. There are so many capabilities that we can look at with, with TV and video that exist outside of just how do we push an, an ad on NBC's Today Show. We've, we've got to start thinking beyond just that. This is going to be a shift like in the early internet router days when uh, you, if you wanted to load an image, you had to wait a while and watch it slowly come down to where we're at now. We're going to have that kind of a shift in being what we're able to stream, what we're able to service as far as the, the speed and, and kind of what it allows people. You didn't have the websites back then you have now because you couldn't have visuals on there. They would just, nobody was going to wait 20 minutes to, for the, you know, for the photo to download. So one last question, we're running out of time here, but um, if people are, you know, they're listening to this, or we have an audience listen to it and they're, they're thinking this is interesting, but they don't know what to do, where to start. I mean, I'm sure we'll refer them to, to you guys as well, but is there something for them? Can you give us like one big thing to do and one big thing not to do if they're interested in starting to look into this advanced TV space? So first thing I would probably tell you to do is to, to clean your data. Because if you're going to do targeting, if like you're going to invest in addressable TV, Mountaintop Day would be a good place to start. Yeah, wouldn't, clean wouldn't, your data. Clean, I did not tell Kenneth to do that. He did it on his own. <laughs> checks in the mail. So, Super smart. So get data because if you're going to use that data to leverage against an advertising campaign, that is, I mean, it's so key. I can't even tell you. Um, Right. How important an expensive it is. show and send it to the wrong audience because you had the wrong data, then it's kind of a waste. Probably a couple others. Force your current agency to do better in your TV and video advertising. Sort I don't care. Applying pressure, kind of. Seriously, yeah. and and I, you know, Carl just asked something about we're not talking about this much. I never hear this. I speak at conferences all over the country. In, in digital marketing conferences, TV marketing conferences, advertising conferences, unless it's in a TV conference, this is not being spoken about in a digital marketing conference. And it, it, it scares me because we still have, we have everybody tells you that, that TV is dead. Maybe they're thinking of it as appointment TV. That's one rabbit ever. ears. They're like rabbit ears are dead. They don't understand. But you're, but you're still spending a third to half of your budget on TV advertising. As that converges, it makes sense for you to figure out the best way to absorb that. But clean your data, force your agency to learn more if you're working with an agency. Push for outcomes that you can measure. That is part of that. There are a few providers that can, can do it. If you're talking about how do you measure that, it's not clean for most people. Most people don't have an understanding of it. But attribution other than last click is so important. And figure out how even if you're staying with your own agency to pair that with other media, pair your TV campaigns with your social campaigns, with your last click efforts, you know, think of, of the person sitting at home with their device who sky's sitting there with his phone watching survivor. He sees an ad for a car. It's not because he saw an ad for a car. It's because he searched, he saw the ad that primed his brain to go look for something else that he found. Maybe it was through an ad and then he convert, he converted to a lead form or something else, but it's, it's generally part of a process. It's not a single ad that drives it. It's multiple touches, but those touches are often paired together and you've got to understand that. Excellent. Excellent. 
It's been awesome having you on, Kenneth. Um, I think one of the things that that uh, drew us to you, we started talking early on about what the subject was going to be here. And when shark you tattoos, yeah, shark. <laughs> when you mentioned the TV uh, subject, you, you mentioned people not talking about this a lot. That caught my attention because I hadn't heard a lot of talk about it. And I said, "Oh, here's something that you know we're always talking about account-based marketing and these other topics, but the." You know, this advanced TV and TV and digital is not a topic that hardly ever comes up. One reason I talk about this a lot, other than just, you know, realizing how important attribution is, that is one of the slides I use a lot in my presentations comes from John Wanamaker, who was this famed American merchant and pioneer back in the 1800s, who once said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. And I kind of go on to talk about that is generally what I think of as a, an out of work CMO at this point. <laughs> Another slide though, that I show is I think about, especially with marketing, whether it's B2B or B2C or whether you're an entrepreneur or anybody in this field that we're in today is I started pulling together all of the different types of things that we have to learn to become better marketers. You know, it's, we have tough jobs. We're trying to drive a, a lot of, of growth with, generally with expectations that are that are somewhat ridiculous and, and way out. But at the same time, we've got to learn how to pull all these different pieces together. And a lot of that, whether it's SEO or PPC or call intelligence software or anything else, TV should, should TV and video should still be a big part of that. And it's really become it's sort of fallen off the radar, I think, for a lot of people because we, we silo too many of our advertising and marketing campaigns, whether it's internal teams or 50 different external agencies, or it's the types of data we use. And so TV and video still got to stay a a big part of that because to your customer, they only see one you as the brand. They don't care at all. But if, if a third half of your spend is telling one message, if your social saying something else, if your website saying something else, it becomes really a problem to the customer. And I think it drives away a lot of lead generation sales efforts, whether it's B2B or B2C. That's fantastic. If you want to uh, find Kenneth the Shark Kinney, you can find aimediagroup.com. Also, this will all be on the show notes here at K Kinney, K I N N E Y. Probably at Kenneth at a Shark's Perspective. Oh, that's probably at, the easiest way. At Kenneth at a Shark's Perspective. And then uh, asharksperspective.com is the podcast website. Great podcast on, uh, on marketing there. If you want to hear more of the type of stuff Kent is talking about here, go check that out. I'd recommend you, you subscribe to that one. And then, uh, again, the show notes here will be on ifyoumarket.com. And uh, please share us on social This is where I start stumbling. Please share us on social media. Give us good reviews, all that good stuff. And on behalf of Carla Joe Helms, and the If You Market team and Kenneth Kinney, Kenneth D. Shark Kinney of AI Media Group. Thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it, they will come.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.